Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Achten Millwall. Listening to Achtung Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Achtung Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Hello, good morning still, and welcome dear listeners, welcome to another edition of Achtung Millwall, a Good Friday edition. Happy Easter to you and yours, wherever you are listening to the show around the world. Um, this is, of course, the number one Millwall podcast. The podcast is an increasingly crowded field. Um, seems to be quite the fashion now for everyone to be putting out Millwall podcasts. I, I, people sometimes ask me, what do I think about all of the, um, I don't know if they're competitors, they're just other Millwall fans doing their thing. Um, do I, what do I feel about the competition? There's, there's quite a few around. There's the No One Likes Us Talking uh, podcast, which... Um, was once upon a time was Lions Live um, back in the old days of, of, of radio. There's another one with Mickey called That Millwall Podcast. I noticed that Dan from Lions TV has now put some of his more recent interviews, some very good interviews, incidentally, with um, Richard Sadlier and, and, and uh, Stephen Reid and, and I think Paul Ifill too. He's put them out of podcast. And of course, yours truly doing, doing this, dear listeners, I actually don't have a problem with it. I mean, the more and the merrier. People used to ask me this um, with a fanzine, you know. Um, much easier to do a YouTube or a, or a podcast than it is to actually physically do a fanzine. But for me, and I might be um, naive in saying this, I don't know, but um, more the merrier, really. The more choice there is. Not everyone will like everything. Not everyone will like what I do. Some don't. I know they don't. Um, but everyone to their own, you know, each to their own. It's It's a wide wide world and there's enough problems in this world without worrying about other Millwall fans doing podcasts so good luck to each of the chaps doing each of those shows I found myself in a very strange position the other day dear listeners as a, I'm, as those who know me know I'm, a, I'm not a millennial I'm a boomer I found myself giving a millennial advice on how to produce a podcast by Twitter message not a Millwall fan it's somebody else um, very odd um, very odd to be thought of as an expert in a field of which you actually basically know very little other than how to do the most basic things. 
I find myself, dear listeners, moving on, looking at Greg Clark speaking, his, his um, speech made to the FA Council this week in the midst of the COVID-19 outbreak in which we find ourselves. The, the Millwall news of the week, of course, is that the club has become the first championship and above level club to furlough its playing staff. Furlough being the government scheme to recover at least 80% up to, I think it's a cap of 2500 a month of people's wages, whilst this economic um, catastrophe unfolds around us. Um, we've obviously got a human life catastrophe. People are passing away constantly. You'll have heard the show that I did with Craig Griffiths just, uh, just a few days ago and, and published last night. Um, my condolences to, to Craig, incidentally. Um, his father passed away shortly after recording our, uh, our analysis of the 2001-2002 season. So it's... Don't, I didn't know Craig's dad, but it's interesting that things become real. Um, human nature is such when it's just numbers and other people, it doesn't make the impact as to when it strikes much, much closer to home. And we've seen other Mill fans in hospital and passing away. And it brings it home to you that the awful reality on a human scale that's unfolding. Obviously, football is a business like any other, and this economic, um, you know, the impact of what's unfolding here is going to be great. My reason for looking at Greg Clark's speech is a Mill decided to furlough the playing staff, which um, there's been some reaction against online of people saying this is not the intention of the government scheme um it's intended for what you might call small medium businesses you know people everyday people so to speak earning a living uh, and i get that um i'm caught if i'm honest between the the mor morality and i'm always a bit wary of that word in any walk of life the morality of a football club using a government economic package to preserve its you know its playing staff but then again mill is not a huge business mill is not a massively wealthy business and the reason i'm reading greg clark fa chairman's speech is that he speaks of the impact all the way down the leagues including the premier league um you know, which has more cash reserves to, to, uh, to play with than many but um that's a finite thing the broadcast money generally for the for the sport is, is switched off at the moment because there is there is no football. Therefore, I don't know what the contractual arrangements are with the the skies and the and the BTs. But um, money will become a tighter and tighter thing. And just reading Clark's you know speech, he refers to the damage being caused to clubs and to leagues. We may lose clubs. We may lose leagues everyone should understand that the premier league clubs he goes on to say are not immune from the impact of this and whilst they are impacted to different degrees depending on their cost base the potential overall financial impact is huge um it's interesting i mean we've all knocked the fa in the past and you can still knock them now really but but like the government itself, this is a very, very tight spot that we find ourselves in as a country. And to me, it's not the time or place to be digging at uh, individuals or decisions made in the past. Nothing can be changed that's happened already. You can only ever change now and going forwards. Clark here says, we must have a plan to ensure that English football is not decimated. Should this season be lost and next season be blighted? 
the EFL have announced, um, well, leaked, shall we say, plans to maybe hold the remainder of the season behind closed doors sometime around mid-May is being mooted. I imagine, I imagine that's to get the season completed before the end of the contractual um, terms that most players will be on, which I think run until, those that are up, will run until Jan uh, June, the end of June, I believe. Um, so I imagine that's the idea, is to try and get the playing issues, the playoffs and promotion and relegation issues settled on a football pitch behind closed doors, because it's highly unlikely at that stage in um, mid-May going through to the end of June, 56 day period, they say they want to get use it to, uh, to complete the Football League programme. Um, highly unlikely that mass gatherings will be permitted. Um, the driver, as always, and as Greg Clark here says, FA chairman, is the, uh, the human life is the priority and that's right and proper. I just can't see, to be really honest, the idea of playing behind closed doors, I can't see that as a, as a runner because how do you guarantee the safety of the 22 men, the, the two squads, what's that going to be, nearly 30 players, including management, referees, linesmen, other officials. You're talking about a minimum of, a behind closed doors fiction must require a minimum of between 80 and 100 people to actually get it organised and play it. Um, how do you guarantee the safety of those 100 people? let alone any broadcast staff that might be showing it. That could only be done for television purposes. I can't see it. Um, the morality of whether it should even be played at a time where possibly the pandemic is still raging is another question. I, I, I struggle with it, if I'm going to be honest. I struggle, if I'm going to be honest, with the idea of Millwall Football Club using a government economic rescue scheme to keep itself alive. But then again... I'm in the fortunate position, probably like yourself, dear listeners, of not having the consequences of not taking that decision on, on my account. If you're running Millwall Football Club, and this is a way to certainly soften the impact of wage costs, the prime cost of, of any football club is wages, and you are not excluded, specifically excluded from the scheme, and, and the government scheme does not exclude Millwall Football Club, or football, let's be um, get it right, then why wouldn't you take the, the help and assistance that's on offer? Um, it's a tough one, but certainly that's where the clubs are at now. They're furloughing the staff, which is like an, an extended unpaid leave, and they can recover costs up to £2,500 per player to um, you know to mitigate the cost of the wage bill for the football club. I don't know where this current situation is going to end, contractually, legally, many other ways. No one does. Um, it's going to be something, hopefully, we're going to get um, another show with uh, a chap who's contacted me today to maybe explore some of these issues in another show another day. But there we are. That's not cheered you up on, on Good Friday, has it, dear listeners? You are listening to Achten Millwall. Um, I want to say thank you, a couple of thank yous to everyone who's contacted the email, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. I am working my way through some of the uh, the Mill memories. We've asked for people to give us their um, all sorts of memories. It could be anything from the most minor to the larger things, personal memories, whatever. Really, I'm interested to hear it all. It's it's um, it's very nice in this difficult time that we're all going through to just to look back and remember what what it is we do have. 
We've just touched on the, the danger to the sport generally, danger to the football sports, but football is our, our game. Um, we have to preserve what we can here, and the cost of this will be huge. But just to look back, just remind you of what you have. Better days. So I'm going to uh, use another one of Jim Hackett. Big thank you to Jim for contacting me. He, he sent me a bunch of memories. And this is a second memory that he sent me here. I used one the other day, but this is the second one. This is when he was in the London Marathon. I'm going to read it. Um, as he's written it. So from Jim Hackett. Uh, Jim had a place in the 1999 London Marathon that was taking place the same day as the Auto Windscreen Cup Final, Trophy Final versus Wigan Athletic. His plan was to travel to London the day before the final with his wife, run in the marathon, which I guess would be the morning, and then get himself over to Wembley in plenty of time. I like that bit, in plenty of time. That sounds like a pretty hectic schedule to me, Jim. In plenty of time for the kickoff, as luck would have it, I suffered an injury. <laughs> I suffered an injury the week before, and so was unable to run in the marathon. But we still went down in, in um, as planned in order to watch the the event and then get over to Wembley in good time. Now, one point of note is that he couldn't get tickets from Millwall due to the club selling out the ticket allocation so quickly. I mean, it's fifty-five thousand there that day, and um, huge huge turnout on the Millwall front. Um, so Jim, using his um, using his head, contacted Wigan to see if he could get any tickets from their end, and they could, they had plenty. So he bought two, purchased two, thinking it wouldn't be an issue. Uh, he also bought his wife a lovely look, a lovely looking mule fleece. I'd like to see this lovely looking mule fleece. Perhaps that could be an image for another time, Jim. A lovely looking mule fleece for her to wear to the game. I should also mention that Jim's wife is from Ormskirk near Southport, and she has a soft spot for all things northern. Hmm. We'll see where this is going to go. As you remember, the game wasn't a classic, and we were sat alongside the 3,000 Wigan supporters. There were the general songs sung by clubs with very little cultural presence, generic songs. We obviously didn't contribute by joining in. As the game was heading towards extra time, my wife was becoming very friendly with the, with the supporters close to us, but I thought nothing of it. Three minutes into time added on, and Wigan scored the goal to win the game. As you'll imagine, the Wigan fans around us went mad, celebrating. As I looked up, I saw that amongst the celebrations was my wife, Christine, joining in, clapping and screaming. I couldn't believe what she was doing, so I screamed at her, Christine! And then when she looked at me and smiled, I lost it and just told her to fuck off before putting my head in my hands. <laughs> fuck off really, really is a uh, good start to a marital <laughs> happiness. Jim, <laughs> you know that though. So Jim has told his Christy to fuck off and put his head in his hands. From that until we travelled back into central London, we didn't talk. No, I bet you didn't, mate. Oh, I can imagine. As she refused to speak to me unless I apologised, and I couldn't bring myself to apologise as I saw her behaviour as traitorous. We've just about made up now. That's about how long ago? That's about 30 years ago, 20 years ago. <laughs> nice memory, Jim. Um, yeah, fuck off has really, really ever done me many favours in my experience, but um, that's a, it's a long, uh, it's a great story, and much appreciated by Jim Hackett, the story of, of the uh, of the auto windscreen cup final. And another one, this is a little bit of a coincidence, because um, I saw some photos, some great photo accounts on Twitter at the moment, and that's, I think, Mill Kev put out one of the famous mid-60s, Mill versus Tottenham, I think it was an FA Cup tie, 41,000 in the den, he's got a picture taken from 
Um, I think it must be the seats. So looking back across the, the old terracing, the, the halfway line where it went dipped down and up to the Ilderson Road, absolutely solidly packed. Can you imagine 41,000 in the den? I mean, I've been there. The biggest crowd I've been in there would be the, the Liverpool game, I think. It was about 23,000 in the, in the late 80s. And that had 23,000, it was solid. I mean, you know, you, you didn't have much much space to play with. What it would have been like with 41,000 is beyond my imagination, but great images. And coincidentally, John Williams, who's a, who's a regular listener to the show, had sent me in his Mill memory. Now, these, these are often, um, you know, kind of moments and, and things that seem trivial in, 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 in retrospect, but I, I quite like this one. Um, so John starts 1966-67, I think. It was an all-ticket game, Mill versus Spurs. John was um, just under 12 years old at this point, and he'd gone along to the old den, to the Colbro Lane, to queue up for a ticket early on a Sunday morning. He was there with his brother and his two cousins. Freezing cold, so I suppose it would have been, yeah, January, FA Cup third round game. Freezing cold morning, so I decided to take a hot drink with me, tea. We didn't have a thermos flask. <laughs> I'm not going to stay out long, is it? Um, thermos flask. So I improvised. Oh, okay. And put my tea in an empty quart beer bottle and wrapped it in a tea towel and off we went. So he's got, he's got a beer bottle filled up with tea and we're wrapped in a tea towel. Now, as we travelled to the ground, the queue for tickets was already halfway down the old Kent Road. And I remember quite a few hot dog stalls along the way. So people were setting up to serve the crowd. Eventually, we were near the front of the queue and I decided to have some of the tea. I can't remember how it happened, but I dropped the bottle and smashed it on the pavement. Anyway, we got our tickets and off home we went. Um, <laughs> later on, it was reported that a hot dog store being tipped over by some Millwall fans and apparently the hot dog owner had, had a Tottenham rosette displayed on the front of his stall. He, John didn't see this. It was just a report. It was like word on the street. Um, Mill played really well in a cup tie and unlucky not to win the game. And had to settle for a nil-nil draw. A repo was a narrow one-nil, one-nil win for Spurs at White Hart Lane. So that's the story of John's um, tea in a beer bottle uh, wrapped in a tea towel, which he smashed accidentally. Um, different times, John. That's a nice story. I quite like that one, mate. Thank you very much for that, John. Now, and apologies for the slightly rambling quality to this show, but you know, some days you have to, you have to, you have to ramble. Some days, don't you? I've done one of my random fixtures and the year generated is 1980 dear listeners 1980 that's uh what's that 40 years ago now gosh um nearest fixture to today which is uh 10th of april good friday nearest fixture is uh on the 12th of april 1980 versus rotherham a very um disappointing game a nil nil draw at home to rotherham Played in front of just uh, 4,990 fans. Uh, Mill team for this fixture um, is John Jackson, John Sitton, John Gregory, Nicky Chatterton, Barry Kitchen, Mel Blythe, there's a name from the past, Tony Towner, uh, Dave Mehmet, Chris Guffrey, John Lyons was a name that caught my eye. I'm going to come back to John Lyons in a moment. Uh, and then Chris Dibble and the substitute was John Mitchell, who had signed the previous season, if memory serves, as a, as a big razzmatazz signing from, from Fulham. Um, so some classic names there. Um, disappointing season. We, we started quite well um, in the 79 to 1980 season. We started quite well, actually, we're topping the table. 
um, in the first half of the season and went badly, badly off the boil in the second half of the season. And by the time that Mill were drawing at home to Rotherham, um, we're now sitting in 11th playing to under 5,000 spectators. I do have a, a newspaper report, brief newspaper report of that game. So this is from the, the Sunday People. Um, actually, they've got, a different, they've got a different crowd figure here. So anyways, the headline is Millwall Misery. This is interesting. I'm going to just put this on pause a sec, listeners. Bear with me. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Achten Millwall. We have a difference in crowd numbers between the Millwall History website, which goes to 4,000. 990 figure and this report from the sunday people um which is from the british newspaper archive so the headline is mill misery that much that we we can agree on mill nil rotherham nil now the, the report says i'll read it out uh, mill's lowest league crowd of the season 3996 3996 uh, so less than the other the a thousand less, whether, whether there's some discrepancy in season ticket holders back then, I don't know. So, anyway, Mills Lowe's league crowd of the season, 3,996, had to suffer a dreadful match on a hard, bumpy pitch. Neither side could string together their passes, and keepers Jackson and Brown were able to relax in the sun as their outfield colleagues divvered and fumbled on the ball. Referee Brian Daniels roused the fans briefly when he failed to award a first-half free kick after Lyons was blatantly prevented from breaking clear. Rotherham put the shackles on Tony Towner, the main danger in the Lions' attack. 
there were two and sometimes three men marking town and they marked town around it was a very dangerous winger tony town we've mentioned him in the uh the tony monday show that you'll find in the other lists of shows here and marking town effectively snuffed mills attacking threat out soon after the restart john lines broke three on a solo run through the middle that fired directly at advancing keeper brown rotherham's easiest chance fell to win he sliced wide from eight yards following a mix-up that's the report so some difference 3996 i'm going to go i think with the sunday people report because that was written at the time and um that sounds about par for the course back then we did get some very low crowds back in those far off days at uh at Colborough in, in the misery season so the misery season stretched through from the late 70s um 78 through to about the mid mid 80s 85 when we got promoted under george graham but those um what's that about seven years 78 to 85 but those those years in those early 80s late 70s early 80s were misery seasons and they tested the patience and uh, the persistence and tenacity of every north fan myself included and i, I there was a, a, a short period in the very early 80s where i fell away from following i was getting married at the time couldn't go as often and the football wasn't exactly enticing me there so um, these were tough times. Obviously, in the end, you come back to the club, but there was a period where these were difficult days. But one name that did leap out at me there was John Lyons. And Tony mentioned John Lyons in the show we did the other day. And this is an interesting season, because although the, the, the Lions finished in the nth, in 10th position in the end of that season, um, a really high-scoring forward. And I can remember him... I remember, I remember him playing for Millwall and I've got a mental, vague mental image of him and him being a decent striker. He scored 21 goals um, in this particular season, um, which is, you know, it's, it's a good return by anyone's, anyone's, um, anyone's um, you know, reckoning. 51 games played, 79-80, um, 21 goals. Um, he just played for the Millwall for two seasons. He signed... From Buckley, which is odd because I used to go over a girl from Buckley, North Wales, like a suburb of, of um, Liverpool, near Chester. Odd place, Buckley. Um, he was, so, born in 1956, he signed from, from Wrexham, the local club near to Buckley. Um, £50,000 in 1979. And he was with us just for just over a year. He sold on to... Cambridge United for £100,000 uh, on the 3rd of October 1980. So this was the measure of the days. We were selling 21 goal strikers to Cambridge for £100,000, which is how desperate things had got at that stage. So 51 games played, 79-80, 21 goals. He scored three goals from 12 appearances the following season before he was unloaded to Cambridge. Um, decent striker. I, I thought it interesting. I, I hadn't thought about John Lyons in a long time. And... Sometimes you um, things stop you in your tracks a little bit. I, I decided to look him up on Wikipedia, and there is a picture of John Lyons, and remember his face now. I see it. He's wearing a, a Wrexham shirt in this image here. Um, and what I hadn't realised was that he committed suicide. Um, I didn't know this, and it's the kind of punchline of a very short paragraph about him. Um, playing for um, Colchester United. He left left us to go to Cambridge 
where he played 21 times, scored six, and he joined Colchester for 25,000, scored on his debut, which was a match of the day uh, game, apparently. Uh, and then there's just one sentence. Uh, John Lyons committed suicide at his home in Lea de la Haye, which I think is near Colchester, um, only hours after appearing for Colchester at Lea Road. Um, what, a sh what a shame. Um, there's not much about it. I, I, I found a passing reference to John Lyons. I mean, no one, no one can see inside somebody's head, can they? Um, and what the circumstances were of of, of his suicide is, is probably inappropriate to speculate on. But um, this is this is a um, a book about somebody else who played in the same side as John Lyons. And John Lyons is mentioned in passing. This is an account by football's most notorious bad boy, Roy McDonough. I don't remember Roy McDonough at all. But um, it's an account of uh, a player's um, career, Roy McDonough, which Daily Mirror here, I'm just reading a review of the book. It, it basically said if it's almost like a, a, a things not to do, a list of things not to do, a, a hell-raising lower league footballer of the 1980s, um, described here as a man who squandered two chances to prove himself in the top flight and cocked up a record British record of 22 red cards. Red, red card Roy, I think, was the, uh, the other, that's the name of the book including one for Kung Fu kicking Tony Pulis, who would go on to management management um, fame. Um, Red Card Roy, um, and the reason this is relevant, I will come to it, but he's basically he's, he's your kind of um, drinking 20 pints a night, regularly turning up to play half-pissed, and he must have kept count, he's bedded 400 women, I, I think I'd lose count after the first 10. Uh, Red Card Roy is a writer's romp for a debauched tales of cavorting, but um, it also refers to Roy McDonough's own battles with loneliness and with managing an anger, all of his desperation to win his father's approval. And then here's the relevant part. Um, then uh, the book, the McDonough book, describes the crippling depression which caused his Colchester strike partner, John Lyons, to commit suicide an hour after they'd been out in the booze together. Uh, so clearly a booze culture. Um, and I think that may link this, this story of McDonough may give you a clue as to what was going on with, with John Lyons. Um, McDonough's um, account in the book says, as a young player, I couldn't say, Dad, I've got a problem. He'd have told me to fuck off. I couldn't admit to my brother uh, depression and he'd say, you are, I'm off working down the factory all day. If you went to the manager with problems, he'd say, you a wet lettuce and get you slung out of the club. You are left to deal with it on your own. You have to be a tough guy, but I'm not really a tough guy. I've had one fight off the football pitch in my life. Um, that's Roy McDonough speaking. Um, John Lyons is mentioned only in passing in his book, his, his account of his life. Um, I guess, I don't know, I guess that John Lyons would have been going through the similar issues um, far from Wales where he was um, born and brought up. A sad story. Uh, John Lyons was a, a great player. In fact, it, it, just reading the, um, the account here, so a Colchester McDonough met and befriended John Lyons, who was haunted by abuse from his own club supporters, as well as problems in his personal life. I don't remember him getting much abuse at the den. That may have been Wrexham. Um, don't remember John Lyons being picked out at the den. Um, interestingly, John replaced a Colchester hero, Kevin Bremner, who would also go on to... Uh, for Millwall, 
um, known as Mad Max at uh, Colchester. Uh, Lionsy was a better player, but he had his demons, and the crowd didn't like him. It escalated, and he ended up taking his own life at 24. He must have said to me 15 times, seemingly as a joke, that if the abuse from the crowd didn't stop, he'd hang himself, which is what he did. He was a good footballer, but football was, maybe still is, at such a macho environment that he felt he had nowhere to turn. What a sad story. Um, I didn't know that was the end of John Lyons, and... Now I've read it, I feel like, um, you know, I should, I should have made more effort to find out more. Not that I could have done anything. But um, it's a strange way to discover the end of a, a player who had a good playing record for the Lions and clearly was a man with talent. John Lyons, uh, rest in peace, I think that's probably the best we can say. Um, all these years later, having, uh, having discovered that that was the end of the John Lyons story. Well... Dear listeners, um, not particularly cheerful show, and apologies for that, um, such is the nature of the times. But that was the fixture from 1980, Mill nil, Rotherham nil, and that was the, the John Lyons story. 24 goals for Mill in, in just over a year and a bit uh, period at the club. Thank you for listening to the show, dear listeners. I hope you enjoy it. I really appreciate everyone's get, getting in touch with us. Do keep in touch. And we'll be back in a week, maybe with another, uh, another edition. Um, we'll see how it goes. Arriva Dirty Millwall. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Achtung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. All one word, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232 leave us a voicemail no human will be involved in the receipt of your message so give us a shout tell us what you think about all things Millwall and the best messages will be read out on air deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.